Hello and welcome to The Breakdown, your short, sweet, and digestible guide to public policy issues facing the country today. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. For more information on today's topic and just about any other issue you might read or tweet or post or hear about out there, check us out online at texaspolicy.com. Today we're going to break down and expose an underhanded and frankly unconstitutional move by the Biden administration, no shock there, uh, that would effectively impose gun restrictions that they couldn't get passed through Congress. You see, they don't want you to exercise your Second Amendment rights, but if they can't regulate which guns you can own, then they're going to drive the gun dealers out of business altogether. At least that's um, the, a scheme that, that has been uncovered recently. And one of the folks who's been uh, highlighting that is with me today. His name is Matt Miller. He is a senior attorney at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and he's the lead counsel in a lawsuit to stop the Biden administration from violating our rights. Welcome to The Breakdown, Matt. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's good to be here. Well, I want to get into some, uh, some, you know, to not not to necessarily nerd out here um, in a lawyerly way, uh, but I want to get to some some bigger issues that this case involves. But first, let's set the stage uh, for our listeners and tell us just briefly, you know, what the Biden administ- administration, you know, who, who's your client and what is Biden administration doing uh, to screw him over as well as other gun dealers. Yeah. So in uh, spring of last year, so around spring of 2021. Uh, the Biden administration announced a new policy of cracking down on what they're calling rogue gun dealers. But in reality, these are just everyday dealers who make ordinary mistakes, as we'll be discussing. Um, What that entailed was using the ATF and using the periodic inspections that gun dealers have to undergo to shut down dealers who have made nothing more than simple paperwork errors on background checks, and other forms that they're required to file with the ATF. So specifically, what would be an example of a clerical error um, that somebody might make? Well, well, typically when you buy a gun, and there are some exceptions, but typically uh, you have to fill out what's called a Form 4473. And that is a background check that then goes to a system that is, that is administered by the FBI. And they look to see whether or not you have a criminal background um, and some other red flags that might appear Uh, when you're purchasing the gun. And the dealer will then receive either permission to proceed, uh, the the sale is delayed while they conduct more investigation, or a denied. And the the idea when the Gun Control Act was passed originally was that we didn't want felons buying handguns or rifles. It really was as simple as that. Um, We don't don't want criminals, we don't want kids buying guns. Um, The 4473 started with 10 questions, it now has close to 100 questions, and it is very detailed. Um, it's everything from your height, your weight, uh, your name, your address, the last for your social security number, although you're not required to provide it, um, the, the serial number of the gun you're buying. Uh, the, the, there's a litany of information that gets collected on these forms. And dealers are required to hold on to them, and periodically the ATF will come and conduct an on-site physical audit of the dealer uh, essentially to audit their 4473s and some other forms that they're required to fill out. Now, a, a mid-sized gun dealer will sell, oh, four to 5,000 guns in a year. And uh, most of those will have a 4473 attached to it. And so when the ATF comes in to audit you, they're oftentimes auditing thousands of these forms and thousands of these transactions, each one of which includes uh, close to 100 answers to questions. And as you might suspect, there are sometimes errors on these forms. 
Um, we've talked to a number of gun dealers around the country, a number of people who've been affected by this new program. And it includes things as, as innocent as someone writing USA on the line that asks for your county. Now, your county is actually going to be Travis or Dallas or Tarrant, but people read it as country. And so they write USA on there. It's an innocent and mistake. Their, and they'll get their license revoked over something like that? Well, they will. Um, they'll, they'll get their license revoked over, over basic paperwork errors. You know, before uh, this policy change, after the audit, usually the auditor would come back to you with uh, a number of violations. They're technically violations of the Gun Control Act. And they'd say, here's, you know, 20, 30 things we found, uh, mistakes you made. Uh, here's what you need to do better. And we'd like to know that you're making steps to do this better. In other words, they were working hand in hand to make sure these forms were mm -hmm. uh, filled out as, as, as correctly as possible. And again, that criminals weren't buying guns. Um, what they're now doing is saying that these paperwork errors, if you have more than just a couple, uh, amount to evidence that you are willfully violating the Gun Control Act. And when you willfully violate the Gun Control Act, the ATF can revoke your license to sell guns in this country. And that's what they've been doing. They've been going around the country, uh, revoking the licenses, not of shops who've sold guns to criminals, but shops who have committed paperwork errors that before just would have gotten a slap on the wrist, maybe a fine, or just a request that they correct the problem going forward. So I want to revisit um, that in a little bit. I mean, that that really seems to me to be the crux of this here is this idea of you know willful violations. But to just right. to just talk to our audience a little bit about the intent of these audits, right? I mean, the, the whole point of this, you know, when you talk about rogue gun dealers, what they're looking for are people who are you know selling guns illegally, correct, or selling guns or giving guns to people who do not qualify for these purchases, or maybe they're not um, maybe they're not um, accurate accurately describing the number of weapons that they are selling. You know, they're you say they're selling a hundred when really it's a thousand or something of that nature. You know, we're looking for people who are actual bad actors that, right. that of course, then these guns lead to uh, being used in violent crimes. That's really the goal here, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what the gun control act was trying to prevent. Um, and I think if, if I tell you that they, somebody is a rogue gun dealer you assume they're selling guns to criminals, giving them to drug cartels, maybe giving them to kids, uh, that they're intentionally giving guns to people who shouldn't get them. Not just that they're committing paperwork errors of the kind that anybody who processes 5,000 transactions in a year is statistically going to commit. It's almost impossible not to. You have an interesting statistic uh, in one of your op-eds that you've published <clears throat> recently. How many of the, of the folks... Um, that have lost their license as a result of these um, clerical errors, how many of them resulted in the use of a firearm in a crime? Uh, of all of them that we've talked to, none. Zero. Um, zero. Zero. Yeah. I mean, I was down talking to a shop uh, in Mesa, Arizona the other day, um, and they are currently undergoing a license revocation, and they are not alleged to have given any guns to anybody who shouldn't have had one. Those are called prohibited persons. In no instance that they get, did they give a gun to a prohibited person. Um, they just had paperwork errors. And here's how absurd it gets in some cases, and not all, but in their case, this is how absurd it got. Uh, they conduct all their forms on paper. You're allowed to use a computerized system, but they chose to use a paper system. Um, when they gave them to the auditor, uh, they were organized by month, but they weren't organized by date within the month. So it's like, here's all the January forms, February forms, et cetera. The auditor accused them of having 1,280 violations because those forms 
weren't in specific date order. I know it sounds like I'm making that up. I promise you I'm not. Uh, that's how absurd and how just, you know, frankly preposterous uh, mm-hmm. this program has gotten. So if well, I tell you this dealer had 1,288 violations, it sounds like, my goodness, it's a rogue gun dealer. That, yeah, really that's what is, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, is that the idea here is that they're they're going to, you know, they just want that number to pop to say, look, they these might be clerical errors, but, you know, here's a thousand of them. You know, right. if you're making a thousand <laughs> errors, you must be up to something, right? Right. I mean, how could anyone have that many errors and it not be willful? Uh, and, and again, that's it, it's a sad case. Um, it's an outlier case. Uh, most of them that we've talked to, you're talking about, you know, 20 or 30 mistakes. Uh, you know, this is, a, you know, when I write a legal brief, for instance, Brian, I, I try when I submit it to the court to make sure it's as perfect as possible. I'm trying to make sure there's no, no typos, no errors, you know, all the commas are in the right place. But I'll be honest with you, you know, if there's 12,000 words in a brief, I, there's probably a mistake in there when I submit it, and despite all the, all the processes that we go through. Um, you know, we're all human. And that is why when Congress wrote the law, they put the word willful in there. In other words, Congress requires that these errors be willful errors, that you did it with some intent, with some purpose, that there was human will animating the errors, not just that it was an accident. And, and, and the Biden administration is writing that word out of the statute with the way they're prosecuting these gun shops. So that's a great segue into the next part of what I want, really want to talk about with this case is that because of the nature of what you're you're fighting here, which is, you know, number one, that that these um, that these errors have to be willful. And number two, as you mentioned, that the Biden administration is simply writing that out of the statute. If this case goes forward uh, and you are successful in in, uh, in fighting this case and defending the these gun dealers, that will have ramifications because of the nature of your argument that will have ramifications throughout the law. Can you explain a little bit about what, about why that is? Sure. So, so that is certainly uh, our, our goal with this. Uh, you know, in criminal law, uh, they have what's called a mens rea requirement, um, which means that you intended to commit the act that you committed. Um, oftentimes in, in administrative law uh, or in civil context, but oftentimes, they, again, in administrative law like this case, uh, you have a requirement of willfulness. And, you know, th- that, that is distinct from something like knowingly, uh, which is a lower requirement. Uh, and then, of course, the, the harshest requirement would be just a strict requirement that you not do a certain thing. So, so regardless of whether or not you intended to or not, it's you did it and we're going to throw the book at you. Okay, got it. Yeah. And so administrative agencies naturally want as much leeway as possible. Um, People who seek power want to have as much of it as possible. And so they and with the blessing of a lot of courts uh, have have weakened the definition of willfulness to the point where it means more like knowingly or maybe means more like, um, you know, uh, strict liability. And one of the goals with this case is to give teeth to that willfulness requirement. Um, you know, to say, look, no, you can't revoke somebody's license or you can't issue this fine in a, in a different context unless the person willfully did it. They knew what the law was. They intended to violate it. They violated it and they did it with a bad purpose. Um, that's the kind of standard that gives real teeth to willfully. And this is a great way to do it. Uh, because think about this, Brian, you know, when a, when a gun shop gets its license revoked, that's the death penalty for that shop. Um, you know, this is a gun case in some ways, but this is also a, a small business case um, because they're not going after Cabela's. Uh, they're not going after Bass Pro. Um, they're going after mom and pop gun shops around the country. 
And these are small businesses who are losing their livelihood over this because once you've been found guilty of these violations, you can't go back and get another license. You're done. You're out of business. You have to liquidate your inventory. Um, any lease that you had that was going on is too bad, so sad. And they are just destroying these small businesses um, out of an agenda to reduce people's access to firearms. And it's illegal. It's unconstitutional. And that's why we've decided to fight it. Are there other <clears throat> contexts in which, um, whether it's this administration or other administrations or state administrations, um, are violating it in this way? Or is this truly historic uh, in the sense that you're you know, taking this case on? Well, so we've talked to a lot of people in the industry um, when we were getting ready for this case. You know, we, we, we try to educate ourselves as much as possible before we file these cases. Uh, and they will all tell you that this is unprecedented. Um, you know, sometimes under a Democratic administration, under the Clinton administration or the Obama administration, the ATF might tighten the belt a little bit. Um, but they've never seen shops being put out of business for true, minimal, minor paperwork errors the way that they are now. Um, this really appears to be unprecedented. You know, uh, a, a few sessions ago, they tried to get a change in this law put through Congress. Um, they tried to actually change willingly or willfully to knowingly. Um, and those bills didn't go anywhere uh, because the Gun Control Act, as it stands, is not something that Congress intends to amend. And so because they couldn't get knowingly put in through Congress, it appears they've just gone another route. And now they're doing it uh, by this creative interpretation of the word willfully. Um, well, and that is why. Go ahead, Brian, please. Well, for I was just going to say, you know, for constitutional law nerds like me and I'm sure other people who were listening, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that just makes my head explode because that is I mean, that is an obvious violation of the intent of separation of powers. I mean, if they tried to go, they knowingly try, I use that word, if they went and intentionally tried to get the law, they know that the, they're, they're admitting that the law doesn't allow them to do this. They went in, uh, to Congress and tried to change the law and were yeah. rejected. So that should yeah. be the end of it, right? That should be the end of it. You know, um, the, the minimum requirement is that Congress has to change the law. Now, that law may be constitutional. It may not be uh, if Congress does it. And that's a separate question. But an agency, you know, they've got a little discretion when it comes to implementing the law because they need it to operate. But they don't have a whole lot. And they certainly don't have the discretion to write the word willful out of the statute. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we like, as I've said a few times, we, we talked to a number of gun shops around the country, um, including some people who've had their license revoked and it was too late for them to appeal it. Uh, and my heart goes out to them. I mean, you talk to these shops have been in business 20, 30 years and just suddenly, bam, you know, they thought they were doing everything right. And now they're out of business. Um, but we finally, uh, uh, hooked up with Michael Cargill, um, who runs central Texas gun works there in Austin. And uh, Michael decided to stand up for his fellow gun shop owners, even though they're technically his competition. Um, he believed that what was going on is wrong. And uh, he decided to uh, join with us in filing this case against the ATF um, to have this policy struck down as illegal and unconstitutional. And uh, he's the real hero here. Um, you know, it takes some guts to sue the federal government. And not everybody's willing to do it. Um, but we are fortunate to uh, have a network of people and have a network uh, that, that, that eventually gets us to people like Michael Cargill, um, who are willing to stand up and join with us in this fight. 
And I'll use this moment as kind of a shameless uh, plug for some products that we have at texaspolicy.com. We sat down with uh, with Matt's client, Michael Cargill, uh, and there's a pictorial on our website uh, about Michael, and it takes you through his shop, and it really tells his story. I wanted to get to the, the legal ramifications of this with Matt today, but if you want to learn more about Michael and his story and his shop, so far he hasn't been shut down, uh, thankfully, uh, but you can learn more about uh, Michael and his story at uh, texaspolicy.com. So while we have a couple minutes left, Matt, uh, you know, looking at this forward, number one, for these folks who have been shut down, um, what recourse do they have? If you win, what recourse do they have? I mean, can they then turn around and sue the federal government to get their business back or to get, you know, losses and damages as a result of the of the government, you know, misinterpreting and illegally shutting down their businesses? Yeah, um, they're not going to have a whole lot of options, Brian. Uh, getting damages against the federal government is extremely difficult unless Congress has authorized it. Uh, you know, it's possible they could go in and apply for a license and point to this case and say, my old license shouldn't have been revoked. Um, I'm not guilty of violating the Gun Control Act, and therefore you should give me a new license. Uh, I think that'd probably be the best avenue available to them. You know, that, that all costs money. It all costs attorney time. Um, you know, it's like they say, you can beat the rat, but you can't beat the ride. Uh, but my hope would be that some of those folks would be able to go through that process and get their businesses reopened because to a one, these stories are just heartbreaking. Um, it's a small business tragedy. It really is. So, um, when, when is your day in court and what does the timeline look for, look like, um, you know, to, to play this whole thing out? I mean, you're going to have to go through, uh, the various appellate courts and, and then, you know, fingers crossed we get to the, to the Supreme court. What does that timeline look like? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, the case is pretty young. Um, we're still waiting for an answer from the government. Uh, then we'll go talk to the judge about everything that's going on. Um, I'd say probably six to nine months before we start to see some daylight on this, but we're going to move it as fast as we can uh, just because this policy is ongoing uh, as we speak. There are shops who are under the gun, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, today. And you know we hope to get it shut down just as soon as we can uh, because nobody should have to go through this, especially people who try to play by the rules, which all these shops have done. Well, Godspeed to you and your efforts and to your team who are doing this. Um, again, my guest has been uh, Senior Attorney at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, Matt Miller. Um, and if you'd like, again, if you'd like to, to find out more about this issue and really, you know, just about any issue that we talk about in, in politics today, uh, check out our website at texaspolicy.com. Thank you all for listening.